Christchurch, New Malden, 30th of May 2021. Katie Lofman speaking on The Release, Freed from the Rat Race and Trusting God. Well, in our readings we heard two contrasting stories. One about a man who tried to provide for his future with his own efforts, only to find that he had no future. The other about a woman who thought that she had no future, but she was prepared to give away her last meal, only to find that she had a great future. What's your attitude towards your future? In this country, we're encouraged to provide for our future by saving money and investing in pensions and being sensible with our money. Like the man with the bumper crop, if we have more than we need, there are all sorts of financial advisors telling us how we can make it become even more. A large sum of money sitting in a bank account will soon attract attention from the bank, trying to get their hands on it and stash it away for you. We're so good at worrying about the future. What Jesus asks us to do, though, is to have different priorities from that. He tells us to make God our number one concern. In this sermon series that we've been having on um, being a closer disciple of Jesus, there's been one common thread running through, and that's God and our relationship with God, and how that is more important than anything else in our life. To work on our relationship with God is our top priority. That's how we follow Jesus and that's how we become part of his kingdom. This is the fourth sermon in this series on following Jesus more closely. Already we've talked about what a follower of Jesus does in times of suffering or problems. The answer then is not to focus on our difficulties but to focus on God and his grace. And God will strengthen us and give us his peace to see us through those difficulties and bring us closer to him in the meantime. Last week we talked about forgiveness, and that was Ruth speaking last week, on how a follower of Jesus doesn't focus on the people who've hurt us or the pain they've caused us, but instead the follower of Jesus focuses on God and his forgiveness of us and that will give us the grace to forgive the hurts that we've received and then we can be free of them. Again, it brings us closer to Jesus and we love him more. This week, Jesus tells us that he wants his followers not to focus on money and hoarding money up but instead he asks us to focus on how much God has given us and the spiritual riches that he's offering us. And when we do that, Jesus says, the material things will fall into place. So do you see the pattern? As we've put God first, the things of the world, which is the suffering and the problems and the hurts and the worries, they fade more into the background. God gives us what we need to rise above our circumstances and be free to focus on him 
and on following him in every area of our life. And it's the same with money. When we focus on God and make him our top priority, our material needs fade into the background. But God gives us the things that we need anyway, just like he does to the other parts of his creation, the birds and the flowers. That frees us up from the rat race and it gives us the headspace to focus more on God. So what does it mean to focus on God in this context? It means making decisions in line with what God wants. So if you're, perhaps if you're thinking of buying a new house, is it better to buy the biggest house that you can afford so that it's the maximum investment that you can make? Or is it better to buy a smaller house that leaves you a little bit more financially flexible so that you've got some money and perhaps a bit of time to focus on the way God wants you to live your life and your family. If you're going to be moving to a new area, perhaps it's you, we start by thinking, where is there a church that I can get involved with? Our prayer would be more in lines of, Lord, show me where I can do your work and be part of spreading your kingdom. And not just, where are the good schools and the good jobs? Jesus says, if we get our priorities right, everything we need will fall into place. The parable of the rich fool we just heard from Luke 12 makes it clear what that farmer's priorities were. He had a good year, not especially by his own efforts. The story says the ground produced a good crop. Then he identified a problem. He had nowhere to store it all. What to do? Give it to the poor? Make a donation to church or the temple? Fund a short-term mission trip? No. He decided to create more storage space and then retire and live the life of Riley on the proceeds. In verse 19, he says to himself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. No mention of any kind of sacrifice thanking God for the fertility of his land or any sense of the need to share. He didn't even recognise how that wealth freed him up to do something good with his time. In his eyes, it just gave him the chance to enjoy himself and never have to work again. Jesus tells this parable not to condemn people having money or even riches. He tells it as a warning not to put those things above seeking God's kingdom. But how do we know when those things become more important to us than seeking God's kingdom? Well, there are a number of clues that give it away. One is greed. Feelings of greed about getting more when we already have enough. Greed shows that we're not putting God's kingdom first. Hoarding comes out of that. Hanging on to what we've got, even when we've got more than enough. That's what the rich farmer did. And Jesus says it's just foolish. And one reason these things are wrong is because they're born out of fear. Fear that we might not have enough. Fear about the future. Fear of poverty. 
fear that God won't actually keep his promises and provide for our needs. So if you notice these things in your life, greed or hoarding or fear of the future, the answer is to focus on God. Nip them in the bud and read this middle section of Luke chapter 12 again. There was a woman in our first reading who was almost starving to death during a famine. She had enough oil and flour left for one last meal for herself and her son. And that was it. There was no more food. They were going to die. She was out gathering sticks for the fire to cook it on. When she met a stranger, a stranger came up to her and asked her for a drink. But not only a drink, he also asked for a portion of the last meal that she'd planned. What would you do? She had so little and no prospect of getting more. But Elijah asked her to share with him even what she had. But not only that, he asked her to make something for him first. Not to give him the leftovers, but to make a little loaf of bread for him first and then make something for herself and her son with what was left over. Well, I don't suppose she expected anything to be left over, really. But she did what the prophet asked. She made him a little loaf of bread with some of the last of her flour and her oil and she gave him a drink of water. That sounds to me like a huge act of faith. We don't know what prompted her to do that. She wasn't an Israelite. This was in the Sidon region, on the coast of Lebanon, to the north of Israel. But somehow, she recognised the God of Israel in Elijah, as he asked her for food. And this reminds me of what Mother Teresa used to say, that she saw the face of Christ in every beggar who asked her for food. And what's interesting is that the widow gave food to Elijah before she had any idea that there was going to be a miracle. There are quite a few men in the Bible who ask a woman for a drink at significant moments of their life. There's Abraham's servant asking Rebecca for a drink and that's how he knows that she's the wife for Isaac. There's Jacob waiting at the well to meet Rachel and he identifies her as his future wife by asking her for a drink. And of course there's the Samaritan woman at the well who Jesus asked to give him a drink before promising her the living water. Each of these women responded generously to a simple request for kindness before they knew that it was a test before they found out that God was going to bless them as a result. The act of faith came first, as they let down their buckets in trusting obedience. And the widow of Zarephath is the same. I don't suppose there was any thought of miracles or blessing coming from sharing her last meal with a stranger. And yet that's what Elijah promised, and that's what happened. The next day there was still flour and oil in, and the same the next day and the next day until the end of the famine. And it's the same with us, isn't it? God asks us to step out in faith first and then the blessings come as a result of that expression of trust. 
just like the widow in the New Testament who Jesus saw giving all that she had to the temple, even though it was a tiny amount. Jesus asks us to be brave enough to give all that we have. And when we do that, we make ourselves available for his wonderful, miraculous provision. The danger in having too much is that it blinds us to our need for God. Like the farmer with his bumper crop, we think we can manage by ourselves. Giving generously and first shows our trust in God's provision for us. Paul in the Bible says, put aside your money for God on the first day of the week. That's the first day after payday. That's when you, give, that's when you put aside the money that you're going to give to God. Before all the money gets spent on all the other things that you have to buy during the week, God doesn't get our leftovers. We give him the money on the first day of the week. We're giving him first priority. And that's our act of faith. As a freelancer, I've had times in my life when I've been much more hard up than others. And it's been tempting to cut down our giving to the church in the lean times. But when we resist that, and we keep on giving all the way through, I've been amazed by how it doesn't really result in us having less money. God provides for us anyway. In fact, I'm sure that God has provided for us miraculously on a number of occasions, not by giving us hundreds of pounds to see us through to the end of the month, but each day, as the month goes on, we seem to have just enough left in the bank for that day. And then the next week, there's just enough to get us through to the end of the week. And I look back and I think, I don't really know how that money lasted that long. And I think God's done those little miracles for us on more than one occasion. That's another feature of God's provision. He didn't give the widow and her son a huge sack of flour to last them to the end of the famine. He gave her just enough for that day, every day. Like the manna in the wilderness, each day there was just enough for that day. God's provision, like many of his other blessings, is not spectacular and showy. It's hard to see and almost mundane. A little bit of flour in the bottom of a jar that never quite runs out. This shows that God is alongside her the whole time. He could have given her a shed load of flour and oil and then left her to it. But no, every single day he made sure that she had what she needed. His presence was there with her watching over her and constantly supplying her needs. And the effect is that she has to trust God every day too. A big shed load of flour might tempt her to react like the rich farmer in the New Testament. But instead, she's forced to rely on God every single day. Was she scared of running short? Probably, because she was scared at the beginning, One of the first things Elijah said to her was, don't be afraid. He knew how scary it would be to give away your last meal, but he tells her not to be scared. We don't have to be scared of being generous. Fear of the future, fear of poverty can be very strong, no matter how much we have. But Jesus tells us that if the first thing we do with our money is to honour him in what we give, 
and what we choose to buy, then he will make sure that we have what we need anyway. If we seek his kingdom first, then all the rest will be added on. We just have to be obedient and get our priorities right. Eventually, the rains came and the famine ended. And that's when the miraculous provision ended. God doesn't waste miracles when they're not needed. God provides for us in all sorts of ways, through salaries and benefits and pensions. And we praise him for that too. Because however rich we are, everything we have has come from God. And we're still dependent on him. And giving sacrificially acknowledges that. When we give money away to other people, or to the church, or to Christian Aid Week, we're obeying God's call to love him with all of our body, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Everything we are, and everything we have. And we're showing our willingness to live a life dependent on him. So let's seek God's kingdom first. Let's not be afraid to make his kingdom our top priority. Whenever we think about money, we can focus on God and praise him for his provision of everything we have and ask him to shape our priorities in line with his kingdom. That way we acknowledge our dependence on him in hard times as well as good times. So we don't have to be afraid of the future as we follow him more closely and live as his disciples day by day.